1: influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
2: Does the Supreme Court have an aversion to math? An essay on the website 538 makes a case that some Supreme Court justices are reluctant to take math and statistics seriously. In a case challenging partisan gerrymandering in Wisconsin, Gil v. Whitford, Democrats proposed a test relying in part on advanced statistical techniques, including a measure known as the efficiency gap, to create a standard to separate unconstitutional maps from legitimate ones. Listening to arguments in the case in June, it seemed that an aversion to math cut across political divides. Here are Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Stephen Breyer. It
0: is just not, it it seems, a palatable answer to say the ruling was based on the fact that EG was greater than 7 percent. That doesn't sound like language in
2: the Constitution,
0: and it may be simply my educational background, but I can only describe a sociological gobbledygook.
2: I think the hard issue in this case
0: is, are there standards manageable by a court, not by some group of social science, political, you know, computer experts? When I read all that social science stuff and the computer stuff, I said, well, is there a way of reducing it to something that's manageable?
2: Joining me is Josh Douglas, professor at the University of Kentucky Law School. Well, Josh, are the justices allergic to math? Well,
0: we'll find out when it comes to this decision, of course, but it seems strange that the justices would uh, say they're uh, have an aversion to math in this instance when they certainly do use, or at least historically, have used social science and math formulas in redistricting cases as well as uh, all, all other sorts of constitutional uh, adjudication. So um, although the current crop of justices might feel like, in this case, they uh, the math is getting too complicated, that's historically uh, not what the court has ever really done.
2: Is there any way to make a rule in a gerrymandering case without using some kind of f- formula?
0: I don't think so. I mean, because, you know, the, the, one of the principal areas of redistricting is one person, one vote. This notion that everyone's vote is worth the same amount. And the way you figure that out is you determine if there's the same number of voters in each district. That's math. That's taking the total number of voters and dividing by the number of districts, and that gives you uh, a a number of how many voters should be in each district to ensure that everyone's vote counts the same or roughly. And the court, you know, for decades has said, well, you should be close to mathematical equality in each district, but you can have some level of deviation, and uh, some cases have gone around a 10 percent level where you can – be 10 percent uh, above or below the uh, average size district or what you should be. So that's all math. You know, entering the political thicket with redistricting cases involves all of those sorts of calculations.
2: Now, there's a breaking news crossing the Bloomberg terminal. The Supreme Court has dismissed the remaining Trump travel ban case. The Supreme Court has dismissed the last Trump travel ban case. We'll have more on that coming up. Josh, Justice Roberts seemed to be concerned that using a formula makes it seem to the public as if the court isn't relying on legal principles and that something would be based on Democrats Democrats or Republicans to the public.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not sure what to make of that because I don't think the ruling would be the math says the Democrats win or the Republicans win. The ruling would be that the equal protection clause forbids drawing districts that are so skewed toward one side or another. Now, how do we know they're skewed? We know because uh, the performance of those districts would uh, ensure one side wins in an election. Um, but that's not mass that's dictating the Constitution. It's the Constitution dictating fairness in our elections. So. Uh, I think what the chief is not doing is linking what the math is showing, and simply the mathematical formulas are showing the unfairness, and the unfairness is what's uh, inherently unconstitutional, and that's what the public uh, already is relying on. I mean, so many, so much of the public already thinks redistricting is unfair, that uh, that the politicians are drawing the lines in order to help themselves win. Uh, so the public gets this. The question is, will the court understand that this? particular formula is one way in which to show that unconstitutionality.
2: I admit that I'm allergic to math and I think many lawyers say that I would have gone to business school but I'm allergic to math so I went to law school. And you heard the chief justice saying maybe it's my background. So is there that as well that as lawyers unless we're in certain fields we're not you know looking we're not math geniuses let's say.
0: Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, certainly my students uh, at the law school seem to have an aversion to math. And, you know, they groan when when we have a day on redistricting in which I I do what I call sixth grade arithmetic, which comes from (laughs) one of these uh, Supreme Court cases on redistricting. Uh, But the reality is that it's not that complicated. Uh, The math that's involved in these cases is fairly simple. You're not looking at sophisticated regression analyses. You're basically counting up votes and doing some divisions. Um, And so although there may be an initial aversion to the concept of it, uh, when you get down to actually doing it, it's not that complex. And that's exactly what the sufficiency gap is. It's actually not that complex of a formula.
2: So what about past Supreme Courts? Have we seen this math aversion in other Supreme Courts? Well, certainly uh,
0: there's been some justices who have criticized the court getting involved in redistricting cases uh, in in dissent. That's the the great arithmetic uh, term comes from one of these dissents. Um, But I'll say that also, you know, a lot of constitutional law has relied on in other areas, relied on social science data or mathematical data. I mean, even Brown versus Board of Education, one of the bases of that decision, saying that uh, separate educational uh, facilities are inherently unequal, rely on a lot of social science data. Um, and you know, people criticized it at the time to the extent that the court was relying on social science, but that was the underlying evidentiary basis for that holding. We look at the affirmative action uh, area, and you look at you know, admissions, for example. A lot of that has to do with social science data and, uh, and computations about the likelihood of... Uh, admissions, etc. So um, it's not foreign for the court to be thinking about social science calculations in a variety of its constitutional adjudications
2: maybe just a little bit uncomfortable when you're used to dealing with ideology and words in the Constitution. We'll see what happens when they make this decision in this gerrymandering case. Thanks so much for being here on Bloomberg Law. That's Josh Douglas. He's a professor at the University of Kentucky Law School. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Wall Street time. We'll have more on the Supreme Court dismissing the remaining Trump travel ban case coming up. Thanks to our producer, David, Sucherman, and our technical director, Chris Tricomi. You can always find the latest legal news at BloombergLaw.com and BloombergBNA.com, plus a website for the legal community at BigLawBusiness.com. Coming up next, Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser. And Carol is here to tell us what's in store for us in the next couple of hours.
1: June, we are talking a lot about earnings. We're seeing shares of Caterpillar, GM, Rallying, so we're going to talk about those quarters. And also, the Weinstein Company's man in Shining
2: Armor, Tom Barrack, why he's helping bail out that company. That sounds very interesting. We'll all stay tuned. That's coming up on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser. This is Bloomberg.
1: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB, Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.